Hi, everybody. My name is Rafa Lombardino, and this is Translation Confessional. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Behind the Scenes in Subtitling Last week, I talked a little bit about subtitling and highlighted an unpleasant experience I had with a client who really didn't seem to take the role of subtitling seriously. Today, I wanted to go behind the scenes and talk about what can happen when you're subtitling entertainment content. First of all, subtitling movies and TV shows may sound very glamorous, but it's a job like any other. Is it fun? Yes. Is it creative? You bet but you can't throw theory and technique out of the window like I mentioned last episode because you must get the message across within the reading time and character limitation. You still have to do a lot of research to find that expression or that slang that not only matches the original, but also fits within the space you're given. On top of it all, you're also more open to criticism because subtitling movies and TV shows has a greater potential to be consumed by the masses. How many times have we heard stories about subtitles that got it wrong? And there's always someone who comes up with a better idea, whether it's suitable to the format or not. You can't take things personally, and you must do the best you can with what you're given. It takes a long time to get subtitles done. Just because an episode lasts 45 minutes, that doesn't mean you'll be done with your work within the hour, you know. Binge-watching a show is easy, and you can wrap up an entire season within a couple of days. Subtitling that very same content, though, can take a couple of weeks, if you're lucky. You also have to take NDAs seriously. An NDA, or non-disclosure agreement, is that paperwork we sign when initiating a collaboration with a client, right? Most of us don't give it much thought and go about our business after we sign an NDA. After all, who wants to know about the boring report you got to translate the other day? So, you may be working with something glamorous, but you can't announce to the entire world what you're about to work on. You may tell your family and a couple of friends to watch out when a movie hits the theaters or a series premieres on a streaming app, but the general public will only get to see what you worked on over a month after your job is done, so you have to zip it. Don't spoil it for everyone else and don't risk losing a client just because you wanted to boast about your current gig. There are a lot of restrictions too. When you're subtitling a movie or a TV show, you hardly receive a link to video files and download them to your computer. Yes, it can happen, especially if you're working directly with producers, for example. But nowadays, the most common practice is having the material assigned to you through an online platform, where you log in and do all your work within a web browser, with safety measures in place to prevent piracy. For example, 
when you work on content under those circumstances, you won't get to watch the video as clearly as we'll all get to see it on TV or the movie theater because the video quality is a lot lower to optimize your user experience within the platform while you're doing your job. There's usually some sort of watermark across the screen too. It can be your client's name or logo, or it can even be your username or your email address. So if there's a screen capture floating around the internet with that confidential content, your digital fingerprint will be all over it. One of the biggest and most complete solutions for that kind of work is called Una. It's spelled with three O's and an A, Una. I really enjoy working on it because it has everything you need, both as a translator and as a subtitle creator, from quality assurance tools to an easy way to count frames and place subtitles correctly to different formats in which you can download the final subtitle files. As I mentioned last week, if you're interested in learning more about subtitling, you can check out some sessions I recorded for pros. Now, if you want to go a little deeper into subtitling and get feedback on your work, check out my six-week online class at UCSD Extension. I'm adding the links to the episode's description. Now, to give you a little bit of a taste of what it's like to work on an entire season of a show, I'll reflect about a series from Spain that I got to translate into English recently, right after this. Before we continue, I wanted to tell you a bit about Video Converter Pro. It comes in handy when I receive video files from a client who needs subtitling services. Sometimes they may send me a video in an odd format, so I can convert it to MP4 and load it into my subtitle software to get things going. And because I'm always creating content for my YouTube channel, I can use it to edit video clips too. It's also a lifesaver when clients send me video files and ask for transcription into a Word document. I can extract the audio from the video, load it into my transcription software, and I can get to work. If you'd like to give Video Converter Pro a try, go to this webpage, bit.ly tc-vc. It's easy to remember. TC for Translation Confessional, in VC for Video Converter. Once again, the webpage is bit.ly slash tc VC. Hope you like it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you listen to episode 23, How I Learned Spanish, you already know how obsessed I am with anything related to Spain. So, receiving several subtitling projects to work on from Spanish to English these past few years has been a rewarding experience, but there's still a lot of hard work that goes into it. A couple of months ago, I got to work on a great 13-episode series. It was right up my alley, too dystopian future with a lot of political undertones. But it wasn't something that I could just sit back and enjoy, you know. I had to think hard 
to make sure the subtitles came out as natural speech. That way, an English-speaking audience would get to enjoy it just as much as viewers watching the original without subtitles on. I kept asking myself, how would the little girl say this in English? How about her grandma? And the nosy neighbor whose accent is from a different region in Spain? How about the bad guys whose speech has a strong connection to the Franco dictatorship? And the Argentine character, whose Spanish stands out while she's surrounded by a majority of characters playing people from Madrid. Yes, it's all extremely exciting for a language nerd like me, but it also takes a lot of research and entails great responsibility. One thing that helps me a lot is having my target audience right here next to me. When I'm working on Spanish to English subtitling, I just think about my husband, who is a monolingual English speaker. I often ask myself, what is the most natural way to have this show up on the subtitles for him to read? Still, he doesn't get to watch it while I'm working on something, you know? Even though the NDA would include my husband, since he's an employee of our language company, having him watch something I'm subtitling would be very impractical because, like I said, It could take you an entire day to subtitle one episode. Nobody will sit next to a subtitler to try to get a sneak peek on a hot new show. Nobody but translators want to see how the sausage is made, right? Actually, a little side note. My husband works with me, so we share a home office. We sit across from each other with our computer monitors between us. And when I was subtitling the last episode of this show in particular, he got up from his desk to talk about something and I just lift up my hand in the best style of talk to the hand and I told him, I'm crying, can't talk right now. (laughs) He got concerned and walked towards my desk asking, is it because of the show or just in case I was upset about something else. I said, yes, it is because of the show, but don't come any closer. You get to watch it when it's available to the public, okay? No spoilers. (laughs) Going back to how the sausage is made. I made some decisions throughout those 13 episodes that I knew could come under some scrutiny. But you can only follow the decision-making process of a subtitler If you're right there, counting the characters and watching this little meter that most online platforms have, which tells you when you're about to go over the reading speed. For example, even though we're talking about health workers so much right now amid the pandemic, when something similar was mentioned in the show, I had to use medical staff. It's because health workers has 14 characters, including the space between the two words. As for medical staff, it has 13 characters with the space. And when it comes to subtitling, a single character makes all the difference. There was a sentence that I thought bilingual viewers could criticize as carelessness on my part, or even a case of mistranslation. On a given scene, there are several pictures of missing children, and a character asks, Conoce algún niño? That is, do you know any of these children? Which has 35 characters with spaces and the question mark included. Because of the time constraint, 
that reading speed meter I was talking about would become red if I used the little translation. So I had to translate it as, do you know the child? Because I knew they would be talking about one kid in particular. The sentence I decided to go with has 23 characters and kept the meter within the green zone so it served its purpose. One thing that frustrated me a lot, though, was that I could not translate a single que haces aquí as what are you doing here? It's such a short sentence in English, right? Only 25 characters. But que haces aquí has 17 characters only. And it flashes quickly on the screen, especially when said very fast or when it's part of a dialogue and you have to fit the reply in as well. So I wasn't able to use what are you doing here throughout the entire show. And I had to settle for why are you here, which has 18 characters. Finally, one thing that I had to keep in mind was terminology. We're usually given a glossary, especially for the name of the show and episode titles. So don't blame translators for those, okay? There are also other terms that producers or the marketing staff want you to use, and you can't deviate from that. But the one thing they usually don't give you is a way to work on repetitions. On my technical work, I do 90% of my translations using a CAD tool. So matches and repetitions are identified automatically. However, when you're locked inside a subtitling platform and clients don't want to give you any chance of leaking the content, it's very hard to keep track of repetitions. And I'm not talking about terminology only here. At least, I don't find it very hard to remember variations of a word when you can associate it with a character, for example, and resort to different registers depending on who's using that word. But how about flashbacks, or in this case, a little song that gets sung across several episodes? Or, oh my gosh, how about those shows that have scenes teasing the next episode, taken completely out of context, or scenes from the previous episodes to help viewers remember what happened last week or last season? Once you deliver the episode you've completed, it's gone, and you can't access it anymore to look something up. And you can't always download the subtitle file to keep it as reference either. So I had to learn how to keep some notes on a text file to make sure I could refer to some of those key lines that could potentially be used to tease the next episode or be highlighted as a reminder of what happened earlier in the story. Still, no matter how good my notes were, sometimes the reading speed during those sections would be much shorter than the original scene. So I couldn't always use the exact same sentence in that different format for the sake of consistency. All in all, you can only do your best as a subtitler while having both the format and the target audience in mind. After your job is done, it's out of your hands and your subtitles go through a quality control process and a reviewer may make adjustments and change something or integrate something that they may have insight into because of their work with producers or the marketing staff, for example. So, considering all this, next time you watch something with subtitles on, remember everything I just told you on this episode. There are bad subtitles out there, but it's not always the translator's fault. 
A lot goes into putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. And you can't judge a peer until you have experienced the other side of the process and subtitled something yourself. In other words, you can't point fingers at subtitles until you've walked a mile in a subtitler's shoes. Send me an email at rlombardino at wordawareness.com or leave a voice message on my anchor page. If I get enough feedback and voice messages, I can go back to the subject and post a special podcast episode with everyone's opinion on this very same theme. By the way, my anchor page is anchor.fm slash translation dash confessional. I look forward to hearing from you. Stay tuned for weekly episodes and subscribe to Translation Confessional through your favorite podcast app.